This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Get on in here. Get on in here. Get on in here. What's up, everybody? A little Wednesday night love for you here on the Coast to Coast podcast from InsideCarolina.com. I am your host, Joey Powell. Happy to be here. Happy to see everybody on a Wednesday night. Uh, what's good, Sherelle, Sean? You guys, can can y'all hear me all right? We good? Yeah, maybe? We're good. I got a thumbs up for Sherelle. Uh, I, got a, I got a nod from Sean, who's still wearing um, presentable work clothes. Shout out to the guy in the collar. That's good stuff. We are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. So first off, I want to shout out to everybody who's already here in the chat. Uh, again, know you guys aren't used to being a part of a show on a Wednesday night, but we're glad that you are here. Uh, appreciate your patience and us not being able to do last Sunday as we expected. Uh, Sherelle has been battling the uh, – Sherelle's actually had Corona 23, uh, COVID 23. He's had the, the Coronas, and um, actually it hasn't been COVID. It hasn't been the Coronas, but he has been uh, – He's absolutely fighting through it, and we're happy to see him. I actually texted Trail the other day to see how he was feeling, and he literally responded, if the game were today, I would not play. <laughs> so um, love that from the guy. Glad to see him here. Sean, I'm glad you're here, too. Glad you are well. Fellas, we got a lot to talk about. We, were, we had a big show lined up for Sunday, but, hey, we're not going to make our guy fight through uh, when he's absolutely unable to, to sit, much less talk to everybody. First things first. If you have not yet, subscribe, rate, review the show. You know the drill. We appreciate it. Um, been getting a lot of love on the the iTunes reviews lately. We do read those. Um, been seeing some good comments on social media. Shout out to people who have been giving, um, giving comments to the host. It's totally not necessary, but we do see it. We do appreciate the love. The biggest thing for us is that you guys are happy with the content we're producing. And if you're not, we want to hear about it. If you are, let us know too. So, Rate, review, subscribe if you have not. If you're on a, uh, if you're on live with YouTube tonight, hey, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. You may have already gotten the notifications, but if you haven't, 
and you want to get these notifications when we're about to do a live show, the only way you're going to get that is if you're subscribed to the Inside Carolina YouTube channel. All of the administrative stuff out of the way. Boys, let's talk about some preserves. Peach jam. Last week, uh, it, it was it was probably what uh, what infected Sherell, um, probably what made him sick. Uh, man, I, is one of the most, I guess, old school uh, events of the year to the point to where now ESPN's not even let people like take video of it. So you know it's some it's, it's some good activity going down in there. Uh, I'll go to you first, Sean. What were your biggest takeaways from the Peach Jam in Augusta uh, about a week ago now? Well, I'll start with a question actually for the both of you because it was actually 10 years ago where I went to my first Peach Jam in person. So 20, 2013 with the 2014 class, Theo Pinson, uh, those guys. So, you know, with all the hype that everybody was getting throughout Peach Jam on social media, et cetera, you know, the next NBA superstars, went back and looked at the top 50, um, looking at a scout, <laughs> scout summer ranking. I actually, went Man, to the you're, top. A glut, you're a glutton for punishment, bro. <laughs> But out of the top 50, how many how many do you think are still currently in the NBA? This is the top 50, not even the top top 100. Um, Actually, Sherelle s- might cheat, so it might be just for you. Yeah, I have to recuse myself because I know the answer. Well, I appreciate that. the honesty. I'll go with nine. Uh, oh, you, you, I figured most people would be guessing you know, high 20s, 30s, uh, but there's four, 14 uh, by my count that are still in the NBA. So – I think it shows, you know, high, everybody's getting a lot of hype, hype right now, but, you know, that, that can change. And the guys that, that do make it in the NBA, they're not all top 10 guys. You know, there's going to be some um, that some fall out, some, some came in. So all that to say um, was I've been looking at these high school events maybe through a different, more, more skeptical lens uh, as, of, as of late, but I think, uh, you know, first and foremost, was able to, to watch a lot of Team CP3. It uh, would have been nice to see them play more than five five games. Uh, but at the same time, I think, you know, for UNC fans, it, it was great. But but at the same time, maybe not so great for the, the long term of, of Drake Powell being in Chapel Hill. But I think he, he had a fantastic weekend. Um, you know, we've been hearing how – He'll rise in the rankings already, I think, number nine or number eight. And I think, you know, especially after some of the play he had in EYBL 234 uh, and then in, in Pangos where he didn't make the top 30, uh, USA Basketball didn't didn't make the U19 team. But I think he showed why he is a top 10, top five, maybe even higher player given given the class as well as his two-way versatility, I think. One, the athleticism. Two, you know, if he can shoot the ball consistently, which he did this weekend, nine for 18 from three. And he brings us a defensive ability that a lot of other players in the class don't, um, even if they're focused, just don't have the natural makeup, you know, to, to have have that type of defensive effort. Uh, and then that 18, I think it was 18 points, 18 rebounds, uh, that, that game was was pretty impressive. So that, that was obviously the main story. He spent a lot of time, mostly watching CP3 um, along with some of the, the younger younger guys as well. But, um, you know, also enjoyed hearing what Sherell had to say as he got to watch it in person. Uh, I have very rarely seen Sherell McMillan, like, just completely enamored with a player. And I don't know if it's because you've followed him for so long, Sherell, but uh, watching Drake's 
I guess, most recent phase of evolution is nuts. I mean, Eric Bossy is now on the record saying he thinks Drake Powell is one of the top five players in this class. So we've seen him go from, you know, out of the top 50 to now top 10. And, and you know, a, a lead basketball recruiting analyst for 24-7 saying top five. Cheryl, what jumped out at you in, in Augusta? What, what was new that you saw at a Drake's game other than, what you you termed, and I'm going to put words in your mouth, but I'm trying here because I think I might get the sentiment right. The the most disgusting block you've ever seen in a live game before. So I, I want to ask you, what did you see from Drake Powell at Peach Jam that you had not seen before from him? Um, I I, I want to say <laughs> nothing, but I think for Drake all the time, dating back to last year, it was man this this kid if he can develop an offensive game he's already got the athleticism and he can you can put strength on him and he's already got you know the defensive prowess that that was always what it was is and if his offense catches up well his offense is caught up and <laughs> not only um is it you know becoming more consistent is super efficient i mean he shot 50 percent from three and it's not like he had limited attempts it's not like he wasn't you know the, the second leader scorer on the team it's not like he was a guy that everyone didn't know about and just came out and had an amazing weekend. It's like, oh, who's Drake Powell? He had a reputation coming in. So it's not like he wasn't on the scattering reports for the opposing coaches, and he still was able to get to his spots, um, still able to rise above people and shoot. The the elevation he gets on his jump shot, man, I'm telling you, it is, it is very interesting that he can do that because it's like, <clears throat> I think we described it before as him kind of being on a trampoline. He just gets so high um, that it's, it's almost impossible to block his shot. So I think the offense has just come around, and not only has it come around and caught up with the defense, it hasn't passed the defense, but, um, you know, it's into that, you know, starting to get into that elite territory. So I think that was the biggest thing is that he's now really um, as complete of a player, I think, as you can be at this stage in your development because he's he's a two-way guy. He's a true two-way player. Um, he can guard, you know, I would say one through three right now. I mean, in high school, he can guard one through five. In college, he can probably guard one through three because of his length. Um, in college, he'll be able to, to play the two and the three, I think, pretty confidently. Um, against a smaller team, who knows? Maybe he could even play the four. Uh, he just has that kind of versatility. And it goes back to, <clears throat> excuse me, just how we talked about him being, you know, who, who's going to be the lottery pick on the next lottery pick for Carolina or who's going to be the next guy who can be in that top 15 and that top 10. Well, because of his measurables, you know, he, he already had a leg up. And now all the, um, the counting stats are catching up. All of the production that you wanted to see is catching up. So it's no longer potential. It, it's here. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's the big thing with Drake is that he's tapped into that potential. He can still get better. Don't get me wrong. Um, but he finished third in the EYBL Peach Jam in rebounding. You know, it's 6'6". Six, six, you know, six, yeah, six, from six, the six. wing. Yeah. Right, from the wing. 11 rebounds a game. So it's just a really impressive performance by him all around. And I think that's why... Um, you're seeing folks talk about him in top five. And when they say top five, I don't think they mean number five either. I mean, in my, in my mind, Trey Johnson would be, and, that, and that's more from an offensive perspective in terms of what, what he brings. I don't think he has it on the defensive side of the floor, but um, we also talked about the weakness of the 24 class and how really the top three guys are 25 and 26. So that, you know, there's something there, but um, he, he'd probably be the, really the one guy offensively and what he did on the USA circuit. But I think uh, in the chat, Andrew uh, Prevost brought this up, but 
literally a, a year ago, I'm in Kansas City watching EYBL. The next week, Sherelle's in PGM watching EYBL, and and uh, Drake's playing on the U16 circuit, and he's he's blending in. Uh, he's pass first. Uh, you know, you, you can you can see the size, and I, I remember interviewing him, and you know, I, I was like, all right, this this guy's a legit six 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 seven. Usually, they're more <laughs> six four six five. Once you get to size him up, but you could see his high size, but at the same time, uh, he was, he was blending in. And the question was, is UNC going to offer? Um, I think, you know, West Miller and Cincinnati, they were watching a lot of his games and they were probably hoping to pounce in if UNC did not offer. And, you know, it, the offer did come and, and at the point, that point in time, you, you wouldn't have seen, uh, you know, just in, in one year, the, the difference, but I think that's the fun part of, really that sophomore to junior year transition is, you, you know, a lot of guys in the forties or fifties next, you know, come the next year, they can, they can be in the top five or 10 uh, with some improvement. Well, and we've seen a lot of players that have not made that jump. Right. And and I think the, the, the through line here for folks that are listening and watching is that you guys said from the beginning, if he can do these things, well, now he's done these things and he's done them incredibly convincingly. Sean, I know you don't really like player comps, but I'm going to I'm going to kind of twist your arm on this one. Sherelle, short answer for you too. Sean, does can you think of anybody that's had this sort of trajectory from being a complimentary player that had potential to okay, now he's really jumping off the screen every chance he gets. Can you think of anybody like that since you've been following recruiting? I mean, there I mean, well this is, this is more COVID related, but when UNC offered Cam Whitmore, I believe he was in the, in the hundreds, but I think that was more, you know, not, not being seen. Um, but right. Aside from COVID. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, I want to go back to, I mean, I think, I feel like Naz Little had a, had a similar, he had a, hit a pretty high, high jump. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I mean, I, I think this, that, that year, the sophomore to, or sorry, junior to, uh, I mean, sophomore to junior year, he's obviously now past the junior year, but that was when he, he made the leap. And I, I think that's when you do see the higher fluctuations more so than, yeah. um, you know, that's the, the volatility starts to, you know, shrink as you're going junior to senior year. But, um, you know, I, he, I mean, Dylan Harper, for instance, he was in the forties last year and now he, he's the, the number one player in the class. But I, I think just, and sorry, one more, but Brandon Ingram wasn't to that extent, mm, but okay. there was a guy where, you know, we all got to watch him at MBPA top 100 uh, in late June. And you're like, man, is this guy ever like, when is, you know, he's just running up and down the floor, shooting three, <laughs> shooting threes when he gets the ball and just what was a guy on the floor. And then literally uh, a week, two weeks later, first live period in Chicago, the light flipped and and here he was. And, you know, Roy Williams was early in terms of that, that identification. And then you had everybody else coming, but I remember it was a game against Jalen Brown in Chicago that that was kind of the the flip on, on that switch. So it does happen a lot. And that's probably the fun part about recruiting and following it closely is when is that going to happen for a select few? Yeah, same question, Sherelle. Not- and I, well, hang on. I, same question for you, but also I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this also shows, uh, Hubert Davis's acumen for identifying talent early uh, as well. Go ahead, Cheryl. Same question to you. Yeah, I was going to go there too, but I, <laughs> I think Nasir Little, Nasir Little is probably the one that comes to mind the most because he was he was viewed as like a top thirty-five, top thirty player. I think um, kind of entering around this time, and then you know he just 
that played really well on the Adidas circuit, played really well for his high school and national games, of course, tore up the McDonald's game and, and the Jordan uh, Classic. And I think he might have ended up being number three in 24-7's rankings. In some rankings, he was as high as three, yeah. yeah. So, so you're talking about a guy who went from, you know, mid-30s to number three in about a year. And I think Drake is on a very similar trajectory. So um, that, that's the first one that came to mind. As far as the Ebert Davis thing, um, yes, Drake Powell loved North Carolina and uh, coveted a North Carolina offer. However, he had to receive an offer to be able to commit there. And I think UNC, um, I've learned more over the, about this in, in the last couple of months, but you know, not only did they say we'll, we'll take Drake, but they also immediately cut off communication with uh, you know, someone like Cam Scott uh, is the reason that they didn't keep in contact with Isaiah Evans. Um, so they made a solid commitment to Drake um, in August of last year when he wasn't ranked top five or wasn't ranked top 25. So it does say something, I, I think, about what they see and, and what they value. And they're, they're kind of reaping the rewards, reaping the rewards now. Yeah, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that because definitely uh, Cam Scott and, and Evans are some of the players that, that get mentioned a lot of times. Meanwhile, Drake Powell is doing every single thing he can do to to cement himself as a as a premier blue chip player in this class. Uh, all right, so moving away from uh, from the Peace Jam, and and let me tell you, the fat boy in me does not like to get away from Peace Jam for any reason. Uh, let's talk about Isaiah Harwell. Uh, talking to some of the twenty five guys, um, Sherell, this is not Peace Jam. This is the three SSB event down in Rock Hill. Uh, there was a couple of different players on UNC's radar, both of whom happened to be uh, shooting guards, and they're they're both about the same height, uh, very similar builds. Uh, we'll talk about Isaiah Harwell first, and then we'll move on to Darren Peterson. Um, but but what was your what was your gleaning from uh, Harwell's performance? Uh, and again, want to point this out: he was early offered um, by Hubert Davis and his staff as what a sophomore? Is that right? Yeah, he was the first offer in twenty twenty five by UNC, yeah. and that was last September. So okay. um, he's he's had an offer for you know not quite a year, nine months and change. Um, he was, he was good. He, he was clearly tired. I think if you check out the story that we wrote, um, about his winning ways, he's had an incredibly busy summer, um, plays out in Utah. So they're on a national schedule. Um, didn't get a chance to rest really after high school season, went straight into AAU, left AAU, went to a few camps, went from the camps to USA, left USA back to AAU. So he's just been literally around North America playing basketball for the last three months without much of a break. I said all that to say um, his team ended up winning the three, C three SSB championship. Uh, last year, they finished runner-up. This year, they won. And it wasn't for his dynamic performances, I would say, but more, more so of just him being sturdy and solid. This wasn't like last year where he was going out and scoring 28 and 30 points a game. And I think actually it's a healthy thing. One, because he's playing with a, a good team. And two, because he's been able to not run the show like a lead guard, but, you know, see the floor better and, and kind of help his teammates get, get their stuff going. Not from a Carolina perspective, but they have a kid named Jackson, John, Jackson Johnson on their team who is a shooter. And I think he's going to be one of those you see in a few years at Utah or BYU or wherever he attends, USC. <laughs> I'm going to be like, man, that, that kid's good at basketball. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I like Harwell's game. He's He's so strong for his age this is his second straight year of playing 17 and under and he's only a rising junior um so that's pretty impressive um just a, a big body guy who can get into the paint and, and kind of 
um, punish defenders. Uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about another player who's very similar. But, yeah, I mean, Harwell is, is a good player. Um, the class of 2025 is kind of the headline. We can talk about that later. But he's kind of maintaining his position as one of those top 15 guys in that class. Well, so let's move on to another player in that class that we mentioned from the 3SSB event, uh, Darren Peterson. Uh, he's from Cuyahoga. Falls, Ohio, which if I remember anything, it's just a great place to get a, to get brake pads um, from, from Callahan Auto. But uh, what can you tell us about Darren Peterson, his performance at the 3SSB event? I mean, like, you know, people use like terms like man-child and, and beast and they, they use it lightly, <laughs> but I mean, he's just so strong and big to be a 16-year-old kid. Is I'm like, are you sure you're, you're 16? Um, he's playing 16 and under <laughs> for his team, but he's I mean, he's just a, a massive kid. And then he is so aggressive when he's attacking. Um, and his, I would say his offensive skill set is so advanced from, um, we, we talked to him, he he's trains with some pros. He's got connections with other guys. And you can tell just his level of skill is just different from a lot of the players in his class, especially his position. Um, I think that was the, the biggest thing was that you combine someone who's legit 6'6", six, six, someone I think he was listed at 180, but he's he's 200 pounds, like a well-built, like tight end type player, and he's playing on the wing, playing guard. I mean, it's just not a combination you see often. So, um, I, I like the way he plays. I like his his aggressiveness, um, his physicality, um, just a, kind of a, a bruising, athletic guy on the wing. Those are he, those. Are, go ahead, Sean. I was just gonna say, and and going into that first live period. It wasn't a, a new name since he had an offer, but I think one of the players we were most excited to to follow, just given one what he did on the USA circuit, uh, first team in the FIBA All Americas, leading or tied for the leading score on the USA team. But how he was scoring, where he was scoring, what he was doing, I think you could see that in the highlights, high school wise. Uh, but in terms of his upside and where he's at, you know. It, Hopefully, it isn't UNC, but um, you know he's he's a, he's definitely special. So, so Sean, give me a little bit of, I guess, wide angle view of of both of those players and kind of how their games might be similar and different. I know Sherelle pointed out some specifics that he'd seen from that event uh, in Rock Hill, but what do you know about their games and what are kind of the hallmarks of their games at this phase in their careers? I mean, I think for you know you can look at both of them and and not always a, a great comparison, but looking at what they did on the, the FIBA circuit, you had Peterson who was uh first, first team, you know, 16, 17 points a game, go-to guy. And then you had Harwell uh, made the team, which is a accomplishment in itself, but coming off the bench, 13 minutes, you know, kind of uh, I think average four or five points. So a big, big difference in terms of that performance for two top 10 guys. But I think that, that show, you know, Peterson in terms of uh, really being one of the the top top players in the class with the highest NBA potential. Uh, but I think he's a he's really a, a shooting guard that can that that is kind of the prototypical shooting guard that UNC fans have always wanted or, or you know used to have in terms of what he can do: shoot the ball from three, uh, but also create and and use his size to get to the rim and and finish explosively. Harwell. Um, you know, I, I think needs a little work on his shooting, but a big stocky guy that allowed him to play U17, uh, you know, a, after his freshman year, which is which is rare. So he had that that strength 
ability to handle the ball. And, um, you know, I think is not as the natural gifted scorer that Peterson is, but a guy that can control the game and, and can do a little bit of everything. Appreciate that. So another name that came out of, of the recent, uh, recent past and, you know, again, UNC staff is out all over the place right now and inside Carolina is going to let you know what we can and, and from what Sherelle is able to source and Sean's always breaking down film and, and putting that out there. But um, another name just came out of nowhere. Uh, Travis Brandon from 24 seven sports shared that North Carolina was watching a 2024 small forward from Australia at the NBA Academy uh, event down in, um, I think it's in Atlanta. Um, six, seven, one eighty from Australia, Johnny Furphy. Now, first off, I didn't know that was a real name. I felt like that was a made-up name. That was something like a uh, like a guy that lived, you know, the floor below uh, Jerry on, on Seinfeld. But um, either way, he is a real kid. Sherelle, what can you tell us about Johnny Furphy and and him popping up on the the twenty twenty four radar right now after after a strong weekend? Yeah, not a ton. Um, so we do try to kind of you know ascertain where the UNC staff is at. So we know they were in Rock Hill at Adidas. We know they were at Peach Jam, EYBL. We know they took a trip to uh, Under Armour, which was outside Atlanta, uh, actually in Cartersville. But then, like you said, the NBA Academy is also in Atlanta. And we got a tip. And I guess it was Saturday that UNC was there. At the time, had no idea who, you know, who they were there for. Um, and then, you know, Travis, you know, shortly texted me and Ben and said, hey, it's, it's for this kid. Um, I think the compelling thing about his story is that no one knew who he was a few months ago. <laughs> and so he, he reclassed into 24. But I wonder if, as he's getting these offers and getting high major attention, if there might be the temptation to reclass back into 2023. And from a UNC perspective, I think that would make a ton of sense. I, I've seen a, a few people on, on the board asking, you know, why is UNC looking at a wing in 2024 when they said they couldn't offer Isaiah Evans, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think that could be your answer. Do we know that they're recruiting him for 2024 or, or do we think they're recruiting him for 2023? We don't have that answer. Um, that's kind of me speculating a little bit, but when you start connecting dots and thinking how things might fit, yep. I think that's the more plausible scenario of the two. I think it's something that um, that you guys always do a really good job when you're breaking out a recruitment for North Carolina with regard to roster management is, hey, read what's not there. Read between the lines. Try to assume, you're, to your, your phrasing, connecting the dots. Um, I know nothing, but I will throw out, I'm fairly certain one of the things that got North Carolina intrigued by him was um that in australia you can order from johnny t-shirt and still have things delivered right like global delivery literally circles the globe you can order johnny t-shirt gear and get it in australia you can be on the perth side you can be on the sydney side but either way if you need your unc gear we're talking to you johnny furphy you can go to johnny t-shirt and johnny t-shirt.com and I, I'm not sure that Mr. Furphy is a, is a premium member here at Inside Carolina, but if he was, he could use his his code found on the message boards, get an extra 10% off, and save himself some uh, some Australian dollars there. Either way, if you are listening to the show or watching the show, you know how much we love Johnny T-Shirt. Locally owned, uh, alumni owned and operated. They've been big supporters of IC for a long time. We can't say enough good things about them. Uh, go ahead and get on in there now as they start getting their stuff in for football season when the fall gets back in. You know how weird the weather can be at the beginning of the fall season. You know, you're hotter than two rats making love in a wool glove. And by the you know November games, you're, you're freezing your behind off. So go ahead and get your football gear now as Johnny T-Shirt's starting to get it. 
They've got all of the brands, the best stuff you can think of. Go ahead and hook them up. Johnny T-Shirt right there on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill or johnnytshirt.com. Tell them I see sent you. Tell them Joey, Sherelle, and Sean sent you. Either way, they will take care of whatever your needs are. We're going to take a quick break. This would be a pause where uh, where John Siegley can produce and add in some ads for those of you who are listening to this in your podcast feeds. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now we'll move on and talk about the current roster of UNC. And shout out to the uh, quite a few folks that are listening to us right now. Sherelle, you and Sean and I have kind of batted this ball back around multiple times as the season ended back in uh, in March talking about how to analyze North Carolina's roster management, how they shopped through the portal, how they handled kids reclassing, because they had all of these things happen. And it's been incredibly interesting to see. Uh, we shared with folks, hey, wait until Father's Day, wait until the middle of June. I think you said the 15th. I may have I may have forced the Father's Day time upon you, Sherelle, but we wanted people to kind of sit back and wait. Well, now we've given them an extra month, and, and wouldn't you know it, last week we found out there was another player joining the class in James Oconquo leaving West Virginia after um, Bob Huggins is, I didn't quit. I got fired. I didn't get fired. I'm still working, whatever. Uh, James Oconquo is now uh, coming to North Carolina. Sean, before we get to analyzing the entire roster and talking about how UNC did collectively, uh, have you had a chance to dig in any more? I know he performed at the, the FIBA Nationals uh, for uh, England. Looked really good in some instances. Looked like the young player, the player early in his experience as he is. What were your major takeaways from from seeing that? So he's played uh, four games. They finished up pool play yesterday. Uh, they went they went two and two, but based on the results today, they did make it into the the bracket play. So quarterfinals against Macedonia, I do believe. Uh, so he, he still has a little more. Little more game left uh, over those four games, uh, average 12 and 11. Um, so pretty solid. He had three games in double figures, one game, only five points uh, from a offensive perspective, shot around 50, 56% from, from two. And I think in this situation, he was able to do, which we expected more than he was allowed to do at West Virginia. Uh, he had some nice, nice drives from the perimeter, showcased his offensive rebounding ability and, 
that'll hopefully be one thing that comes out in the, the video afterwards is just when the ball goes up, he, you know, he looks to track it and he goes aggressively after that. And I think whatever level you're playing at that, not everybody has that innate ability and interest in, in chasing the ball from offensive rebounding perspective. So that's obviously one of his strengths we talked about. Uh, you know, he, he's as one of the better players, he's been uh, a little more freedom. So he's launched a few, few threes over five from there. They haven't looked too good. The one he did make, he stepped out of bounds on the left corner. Uh, but I wouldn't expect to see him launching too many of those going forward. And then, you know, another uh, kind of from a uh, advanced stats perspective, high, high turnover rate at West Virginia, that's been uh, pr- proven correct as well here where he has turned the ball over a fair amount, had eight turnovers in, in one of his better games. Um, you know, some of the, some of those, when you actually watch them, you're like, and was that, was that really an offensive foul or was that really the turnover on him? But, you know, he's been a little careless with, with passing and, and maybe not as aggressive when double teams come to get him, but overall it's been good and it's just more experience for him. And I think going back to the, the conversation we had after the commitment is, I think as long as expectations are proper for him, then everybody should be pleased, whether that's, you know, two minutes a game or, or five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever that is. I think he, he brings some, some skills and, and um, can be solid off the bench and in, in minutes where it's needed. And I got to stop hitting the, the mute button because I'm not the one that has the coughing issues, but apparently I did. Um, James Oconquo is one of the, uh, where he's the most recent addition to this class um, to UNC's roster. We're not really sure what's next, but we'll obviously keep you uh, abreast. But I think Oconquo is a depth piece, not to say that he will only be used you know, as a depth piece, but that he does provide some depth behind Armando Baycott. We talked about um, you know, Baycott's injury issues starting all the way back with the ankle or uh, the ankle against Ohio State his freshman year and then the ankle against, uh, against Kansas. You know, he had some ankle issues on and off last year. A guy like Okonkwo is going to be able to provide some relief, uh, whether it's injuries or fouls or whatever in the post for him and both, uh, and both Jalen Washington. So, guys, one of the things we want to do, and this was kind of my big, my, my big topic, I hinted at it at our last show, uh, I want to make sure we got to it tonight, was let's analyze, as we sit here in the middle of July, how North Carolina has done addressing their needs from last season. Uh, I'll set you up with kind of a couple of caveats that Hubert Davis shared on his last coaches show. And I want to shout out to Trail for pointing me to where that transcript was before we got on the air tonight. Um, these were the key things that Hubert Davis said on his final coaches show that he wanted, uh, that he wished they had done better last season and would be focuses or foci, focus, focuses, whatever, um, moving towards this coming season. So first things first, he said that he thought he used the bench well, but he wanted to use the bench more. Uh, statistically speaking, North Carolina would use their bench uh, 18.3% of the time, which was well below the national average of 30.6. Uh, so first things first, guys, do you think North Carolina is in a better place to use their bench than they were in the past? And there's there's a next step that I want to get to about developing the bench. So let's specifically talk right now about does North Carolina have a more bench-ready team since they've made these changes on the roster since, uh, I guess, since April. Sherelle, I'll go to you first. 
I mean, let's ask Ebert Davis and we'll have the answer. Uh, it seems like they do. Um, they're more experienced. They're veteran laden. But by the same token, the team last year was. I should say the starting five was. Right. Um, so maybe that is the differentiator in that some of the guys we expect to come off the bench have played high major, you know, college basketball um, for several years. So I think if you're saying, you know, do players seven, eight, and nine – are they going to come in and be more of a net negative uh, or excuse me, a net neutral than the team last year? Then I, I think you have to say yes, just because they've had the experience they've played, they've been there. And I think the talent level is probably about the same as what UNC had coming off the bench last year. Um, but you've got probably a combined 12 or 13 years of, of college experience. And that's so just a yes. quarterback Ryan. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and one of the things I think if you look at North Carolina coming into last year, as you said, Sherelle, the starting five was incredibly experienced, uh, very veteran first five group they had. But their their immediate reserves were Puff Johnson, whose most of his exposure had been in the in the final four. Dontrez Styles, whose I think most of his play was in that uh, that Baylor game that that went on forever. And DeMarco Dunn, who was kind of a, a, a largely unknown player. Right now, the guys that are coming to off the bench, as you mentioned, are guys that have played, uh, you know, Division One ball in, in some places. And even if you look at a player like a Jalen Washington, who who came back and was already on the roster, uh, he had some experience, and he's probably the least experienced of, of the guys they're bringing in. Uh, Sean, I want to ask you the same thing. Do you feel like North Carolina addressed the needs of having a bench that they can trust? I think. They did address the needs of having a bench they can trust. I still think a true wing uh, or another wing would would be ideal off that bench, another 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guy. But, you know, and whether that was Puff or, or DeMarco, I, I think that could have been beneficial. But you have, you know, the the, fresh, the sophomores that, that stuck around, they have a year of experience, so they're not coming in and, and trying to learn, learn the system. You have Wojcik, who, you know, is a – has leadership qualities and has played, you know, four, four years of basketball. Uh, and then you have a Conquo who's, who's played time as well. So I think the, there, there should be more trust in the bench. Uh, but I think it's also going to be largely dependent on, Hey, is this team playing to their, especially early on, are they playing to their competition in that first half? And Hubert Davis is not confident that by, by playing, you know, it always seemed like, hey, these guys aren't getting out to a lead, but I don't trust anybody else to to change it. So I'm I'm rolling with these guys. And I think if if the, the starting team, the top five or six can get a lead and, and play well, I think that allows the bench more opportunities. But will will he be able to trust or will he be able to figure out what are the you know, how do people play together? What's the right situations? Uh, or is it just going to be kind of, hey, let's see how let's see how you do in the first half. And that's going to determine how you play in the second half, if it's a tight game. So I do think they added some bench, um, you know, bench strength. I think it's stronger overall, but what is that chemistry like and and how much does that, that trust go? Sean, I want to ask you as well. Um, Looking at what UNC has now, they've got, They've got more guys spread out over different years and different classes. How do you feel like that sets them up for the ability to develop the bench more? Because that was another thing that Hubert Davis said in his last show, was that he wanted to develop his bench. 
Uh, where do you see them having made improvements or how would you say they have made improvements with the bodies that they've brought in so far? I think it's hard now with the, the transfer portal and, and guys can, can, can leave. So, you know, so easily uh, if, if they're not getting the playing time or they, they don't want to develop or they don't see that path, but you know, I, I think there's going to be a big, could be a big exodus of Armando and, and Cormac, uh, for sure. And then who knows what happens with, with RJ, Elliot, et cetera. So I think we've always wanted to see UNC in a position where they're able to, you know, not have to fully reload. I think this year they did out of a different circumstance, but that you, mm-hmm. you kind of want that, want that continuation. Uh, so that really goes to Trimble and Washington and how are they going to do from that freshman to sophomore year leap? And then can they potentially step into starting roles uh, as juniors. So I think it's going to be a big question mark in terms of how does that, that team the following year look? Um, are they going to have to attack the portal? I don't think it will need to be uh, as aggressive, but at the same time, you, you do have some pretty strong freshmen coming in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I feel not great about it, but I, I feel good in terms of what they, what they have and, and a little bit of the, of the mix, but it, it is, I'd say, a little top heavy right now on on some of those guys that have been here for a while, and what their aspirations may be in terms of how how long are they in in college if they play well. Sherelle, I'm going to let you do a little hypothetical here, but looking at UNC's uh, death chart for 23 and 24, and shout out to Sean for keeping this posted on the message boards all the time. You know, for guys that we know will be gone uh, next year as seniors, Armando Baycott, Paxson Wojcik, Cormac Ryan, uh, you know, there's potential if R.J. Davis or, or Jalen Withers want to return that that could happen. We don't know. Uh, Harrison Ingram, uh, Seth Trimble, Jalen Washington, Zayden High, Elliot Cadeau, and then the incoming 24s. Shrill, what does developing the bench look like to you next year? What does it look like with the bodies that, that Hubert Davis brought in? What does that, you know, hypothetically – what does developing the bench mean for next season? Yeah, I think it, you, it just means for next season. I think you start developing your bench on June 15th, whenever those guys come in, and sometime in, in February, you're kind of done. I don't think anymore in college basketball you can develop your bench over the course mm. of years just because, like Sean said, the likelihood that someone's going to stay through that um, is, is slim. You know, there are players on the team this year who uh, – had they decided to stay, they would have had major roles on the team this year just because mm-hmm. of some of the things that Sean mentioned this team might be lacking. Um, but they wanted to go play, and, and they had seen in their first year or their second year that they didn't think they were going to play as much as they should, so they left. So I think any notion that we can kind of look forward into 2024, 25, um, I, I don't think that fits with where college basketball is right now. So it, it, it when it talks about developing the bench, it's – it's always role definition for me within season. <clears throat> there needs to be a clear expectations about what player X's job is, um, the playing time you expect player X to have, um, and if player X can earn more time by, by, by playing better or um, by playing along someone who might play the same position. All that stuff needs to be communicated now so that the, it, it's clear when you go into fall practice, there's no, but I thought, you said that I was going to play 25 minutes, and it was it was no. You had the opportunity to play 25 minutes if A, B, C, D, E, F on the list. Um, so I think right now, bench development is about communication almost as much as anything. 
once the season starts, then it'll be about matchups and, right. you know, is the opposing team playing two bigs? Are they playing two point guards? Do they have a 6'8 wing? Do they have a 6'4 wing? Those kind of things. But right now, it's about everybody understanding what the coaching staff wants them to do, accepting that role, or having a conversation about what, what the role should be, and then everyone moving forward together. So I think that was part of the issue the last couple of years is that the roles, though they seemed maybe clear on TV, I don't know if everybody had the same hmm. idea at the same time. Yeah, um, that's... And that's, a, that's something that Hebert Davis said he, he needs to grow. Um, in, in, in that same uh, coach's show, he said he needs to grow. He's a second-year head coach. He's still learning. And I think that's true. People think that's a cop-out, but it is true. I mean, it's part of the deal when you hire someone who's never been a head coach before. They have to learn how to do it. And so I think you'll see um, some growth from him in that aspect from year two to year three. Definitely shows some self-awareness on his part. Um, and, and I think maybe to use one of your favorite phrases, maybe now developing the bench is just as much about roster management as it is about actually growing players. You know, maybe it's it's about managing personalities, managing who's on the team, but also recognizing, you know, who's available to put on the team very shortly. Um, one of the big things I think that North Carolina fans and, and I see subscribers w- would critique about last year was just their inability to shoot. Uh, they had shooters on the team. They did not have makers to use an old Roy Williams uh, phrase, at least not consistently, to the point that they were last in the ACC in, um, in three-point percentage last year uh, at 31.2. Sean, did this roster become better shooters in the last three months? Based on last year's percentages, they did. Uh, I mean, I think you have you have R.J. Davis, who I I think everybody has high expectations coming into his his senior year. Uh, I think Cormac Ryan, you know, and the and the thing about Cormac and and Ingram, a lot's going to depend on for Cormac. Can he get back to two years ago? What how he shot? Mm-hmm. Um, Ingram has been shooting thirty percent. Can he get to thirty three to thirty five? But I, I think those guys do have the potential. Uh, and then you have Withers, who was one of the top shooters in the ACC this past year. So they definitely address shooting uh, from the from how it looks. Whether that all can coexist still remains to be seen. But I think we probably got a lot wrong on that over-under show that we did. Why you got to bring up old stuff, bro? Last year, but if, if you were to say, hey, are they going to be – 322nd, 322nd in, in three-point shooting, I think that number is, that number is going to go up. Uh, but I also think it's going to go up because of the ball movement and having a team that the, the ball is not going to stick. Um, mm-hmm. And ideally, everybody's looking for each other. Once again, adding Elliot Cadeau, who is a passing savant, I think will will play huge dividends for, for everybody in terms of what he's able to do and some of the um, shots he's able to find people. But I, I think it's also going to be up to the Cormacs and Ingrams of showing that improvement or showing what people uh, are expecting of them to get up to get their percentages up a little bit. Cheryl, I'm going to ask you, and, and I've seen some some kind of undertones in the chat about this as well. Uh, does having a pass-first point guard make this team a better shooting team? And for example, I will say, you know, this has nothing to do with Elliot Cadeau shooting personally. But does having a, a pass-first true lead guard taking the ball out of R.J. Davis's hands so that he doesn't have to create for himself and allowing him to be created for, does that make this team a better shooting team? Yeah, I, I want, I'm glad you said Elliot Cadeau and not just a lead guard because 
it's it, any lead guard can't do what Elliot Cadeau can do. And I know right. we're heaping a lot of expectations on, um, you know, a, a true freshman coming in, but to Sean's point, he is kind of a passing savant. And naturally, if you have someone who can get you the ball in better spots and get you open shots, you would expect that percentage to go up because these are all college basketball players. It's not like they're incompetent and they can't do some of the things They wouldn't be playing college basketball if they weren't. So um, I expect Harrison Ingram and, and Cormac Ryan, even Andre Davis, they're going to get a lot of open looks. Um, Jalen Withers is going to get a lot of open looks from that corner uh, on the wing, wherever. And I think they'll knock him down at, at, a, at a better rate. I think if you just go one for one, kind of, I hate to do that, but one for one, like who they lost and who they gained as far as three-point shooting, I think it's pretty clear that it's better. And, you know, Paxton Wojcik, I, I, I don't think we should sleep on him tremendously. I'm not saying he's going to come in and be a Caleb Love replacement and start, you know, 20 games and play 18 minutes a game or anything like that. But I do think he is going to have a role on the team, and part of that role is going to be knocking down open shots. So you've added, you know, hundreds of, of threes between yeah. Withers and Wojcik and Ryan, and I think Ingram is a better shooter than maybe he's shown. Um, and, and then the other thing is, too, Ingram basically was a point guard, essentially, you know, at Stanford. Cadeau, as we talked about, is a savant. R.J. Davis was, you know, point guard 1A, 1B on a team that went to the Final Four. There's three guys who I think can move the ball around to Sean's point um, and just provide a lot more open looks than they got last year. It felt like so many of the looks last year were, you know, shot clock, three seconds left, <laughs> guys hanging off of their arms. Fade you know, from the corner, Yeah, from the corner. Everything just felt difficult. And I think this year, Cadeau and Ingram – and Ryan and, and Davis will, will make it uh, easier than it was last year, at least well, to to get those open shots. Well, you've also got three guys that can handle the ball, could potentially break a press. Uh, and speaking of Paxson Wojcik, I mean, he may not be a microwave, but he could be a toaster oven, right? Like he, he could absolutely be a guy that could come in and, and you know, he may not get you, like you said, uh, you know, 20 minutes and 18 points, but he, can, he might be able to give you 10 minutes and give you eight. Uh, he might be able to give you six minutes and give you give you eight. Uh, all of those things Just are valuable. Think about how much North Carolina. I mean, we could sit here and do the math, but if they had someone who could come in and go two for five from three off the bench every game, they probably Just be win. A threat. They probably won four, three or four more games just from that. And just, um, and, just be a threat. Just be yeah. a guy that that other teams have to respect, so that they're not playing. You know, uh, four. You're not playing four on five on offense. Um, all right, so putting a bow on that a little bit, we're gonna take a couple of questions before we get out of here. I've seen some in the um, I've seen some of the chat that I like. Uh, again, we'll try to just because we don't answer your question doesn't mean we don't like you or you know your mama's got bad breath or anything like that. It just means that it just means that we either can't answer it or it, it's probably not something we feel like would bring a lot to the show. But we do appreciate you guys putting your questions in here. Um, let's go ahead and hit this question here from our guy, Willie T. And Willie asks, who's your guest of the first guard off the bench? I'm not touching that. Sean, I'll go to you first. First guard off the bench, uh, Seth Trimble. Okay. Sherelle? Yeah, you tell me who's starting. I can tell you who's the first guard. Off the bench. <laughs> but, um, no, you don't get extra. You don't get, uh, you don't get a little extra hints, bro. Yeah, I, I think people's assumptions are Cadeau and, and Davis will start, then I, I think it'll be Trimble. I, I think Trimble will play maybe more than people expect just because of his defensive prowess. And, yeah. you know, he's, again, freshman to sophomore. That's when players make, you know, the biggest jump. So 
um, I, I think he has the ability. Well, and hey, look, I, I know it's a very, you know, uber small, minute sample size, but the videos that have been out there of him playing, like his shot has been completely rebuilt. And I think that was one of the reasons he probably didn't play as much last year is because he just, he didn't have a lot of offense that he was either confident in or the, the, the coaching staff was confident in or both. And I will say his shot mechanically looks totally different. We'll talk about that in a future episode. Um, next question. I want to ask this one. Our guy, Andrew Prevost is getting all kinds of love tonight from Sean, but also, uh, you know, asking good questions. Um, he says, who do we have that can guard a two to three on the wing? Sean, I'm kicking that one to you first too. <laughs> uh, it's, a great que- <laughs> it's a great question. I think goes to the bench potentially needing somebody like that. But in terms of, of Cormac Ryan, I think is a little underrated defensively. Uh, so he's going to be, I mean, it, it is going to be a drop off going from leaky, pretty much taking out uh, the top offensive player to yeah. a guy like Cormac Ryan, but I think he can do, a strong enough job, uh, but I think losing that lockdown defender will definitely hurt. You're, I think you're hoping to make it up on the offensive end where you're able to, to space the floor and, and have scoring threats at every position. So uh, it, it is a great question, and, and I think that's probably the biggest uh, concern in, in terms of what happens if UNC matches up. Yeah, I'm thinking – uh, you know, when, when UNC matched up with Auburn in the Sweet 16, that, that, that team was just too athletic and, and spaced the floor. Really good team, but what happens when they match up with one of those SEC-type teams, whether that's in the tournament, and are they able to guard man-to-man, um, you know, the, the two, three, and four? Uh, sure, same question. You know, I'm going to cheat again. I'm going to say Seth Trimble again, um, simply because um, his athleticism, I think it's underrated. Um, he's really strong for his size and he's, I think he's a legit six, three, you know, six, three and a half. Um, so he's got good size and I know what people think about when they say, oh man, Carolina can't guard the, you know, those huge wings, but (laughs) there aren't, there aren't a ton of teams who have, yeah, there's not a ton of teams who have six, eight guys who can shoot lights out. Um, and I think a lot of defense, again, talking to people who know basketball more than me is about intensity is about effort. It's about desire. Um, and you can make up for some of those um, physical def- deficits, you know, being three or four inches uh, shorter than someone by just being all of in them, by, by being in their space, by bothering them. I think Trimble can do that. So I, I'll say Trimble, I think he, he'll get the assignment sometimes when, you know, maybe there's a player cooking and they just need someone to harass him for some time. Uh, I, I think Trimble can do it. I could definitely see that as him becoming the, the agitator, right? Like a guy that just you, literally you need to, you need you need an ice bath to go cool somebody off. Because if anything, the Carolina fans remember, like it feels like every year, you know, a couple of times a season there is some guy that comes out of nowhere. We saw it last year against uh, Iowa State. You know, you saw it against uh, against a handful of other teams, all the way back to like Harold Arsenault. Uh, you know, where guys just come out of nowhere and, and they're full on just torching the entire arena. And then they go back to averaging like four points, uh, four points for the rest of the season. You know, this could be a situation where, like you said, Sheryl, a guy like Seth Trimble could bring a lot of value to this roster. All right, boys, let's get out of here. Uh, anything you want to add before we put a put a nice, neat wrapping on this show tonight? Sheryl, you got anything for us? Two pennies? Yeah, um, want to shout out Tyler Gilbert uh, as IC Premium member. He helps us out a lot uh, when we all can't be on the road. And so like, you know, if we're if I'm in Adidas and he's at 
uh, EYBL, he'll text and say, hey, I think they're watching so-and-so. So just having people like that, you develop relationships over the years um, is, is huge and thankful for him. And then my other headline is just the class of 2025, man. It is, it, I think maybe how poorly nationally the 23 and 24 classes yeah. um, <laughs> have, been, yeah, have been kind of talked about. It's maybe they're overcompensating with 2025, but there are some really good players. I mean, um, Cameron Boozer, who has a UNC offer, Cooper Flagg, um, you know, we talked about Peterson and we talked about Harwell. We didn't talk about Koa Pete at all, who has a UNC offer, Bryson mm -hmm. Tiller, who has a UNC offer, even Caden Boozer, um, who's not ranked in like the top 25 or top 20 for some places, was really good at Peace Jam. Um, so I think just seeing kind of American born stars again dominating in high school is, is, is good to see. Um, and I think Carolina will be able to take advantage and, and maybe they can land one or two of those guys that they've offered um, out of the top 10, top 15 in 2025. I know that will be uh, music to our listeners' ears. Sean, uh, you got two cents before we get out of here? Shout out to Sherelle for all the information he provided during the first live period and all the articles that, that came out were, were fun reads for especially just being able to watch some of those games online and not not being there um so that was that was great and then two i think this is a time whether it's during the you know during or afterwards we'll start to see kind of the next wave of, of scholarship offers coming through uh whether that's in the 25 or 26 class so interested to see who that will be uh but i'm sure you know they're they're working on on that and there'll be a bevy of uh scouting reports to come with that so you know, looking forward to see who those players might be. Well, and, and as you alluded to a second ago, you know, even even fighting through, um, you know, stuff that even Tussin couldn't cure. Sherelle has been churning out the content. I know you've been doing the same with with video analyses and, and the like. So I uh, just want to tease that for everybody else. You know, keep checking out. Uh, I see we're going to put the good content out there for you. It's up to y'all to take it in and, and do what you want to do with it. Um, Shout out to you guys for being a part of the show tonight. Shout out to everybody who's uh, who's listening or uh, folks that might be listening to this in their podcast feed very soon. We appreciate it. We appreciate Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring and, and making this happen and all the goodness that they do over there at johnnytshirt.com, East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. Hit them up. And also special thanks to John Siegley for producing. But for tonight, for Sean Moran and for Sherelle McMillan, I am Joey Powell. We appreciate you being a part of the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. We'll see you next time.